gospel, friends. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah found in the Old Testament. Uh, Jonah is a uh, book that's considered one of the minor prophets, and we're going to actually spend uh, the next few weeks in this book in our series entitled Mercy Upon Mercy. And uh, the book of Jonah, of course, is one of the most well-known of the minor prophets, uh, most likely because it's such an accessible book. It's told in story form. And this book requires, um, on the one hand, a very uh, elementary knowledge of the scriptures. You read it and you can kind of understand its main point. At the same time, uh, it's a deep book that's intricately written and designed and constructed and authored. And so uh, we want to actually spend a significant amount of time in this book. And so uh, what we are doing today, as we sort of get our bearings on it and orientation of the book, we are actually going to read all of the book of Jonah. And so for those of you who are following along in the church Bible reading plan, uh, we are knocking uh, two days off of your uh, Bible reading list in today's worship service. And so please stand with me as we read Jonah chapters one to chapter four. And our standing is an act of worship as we read God's word and receive God's word as, as it is his gift given to us. So here now the reading of God's word, beginning with Jonah chapter one, verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? But the men knew, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled them into the sea and the sea seized from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, to the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. 
The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars enclosed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plan and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over him, his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plan. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. He asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left and also much cattle. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Please be seated. And would you join me in prayer once more? Father in heaven, we read uh, all of this book here that you've given to us as a gift. And we know, Lord, that this is not just a story we read about uh, it is your inspired word, and you are speaking to us through it. You are revealing yourself, disclosing yourself in your scriptures to us. So by your spirit, give to us listening ears and eyes to see and a mind to understand and a heart to receive and then hands to respond so that what we hear today uh, would be a message we digest 
that feeds us and leads to transformation as we live as your people. Bless us now, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, many people know the story of Jonah. Uh, during the coronavirus pandemic last year, if you remember, Sight and Sound, I believe, um, released a uh, showing of Jonah for free. It's a very famous story. And when we think of Jonah, oftentimes the story that we think of most, the, the episode that we believe encapsulates the story is the fish episode. And yet, uh, when you actually read the story, you realize that the book of Jonah is about so much more than just the fish. The book of Jonah is primarily a book about God's mercy. It's a book about a God who's so determined and so unrelenting in his pursuit to shower mercy upon undeserved people that he chases them down and he showers mercy upon mercy. And that's the title for our series. Now, this morning, since we read the whole book, we are going to do just an overview of the whole book of Jonah. But as we begin, I just want to clarify and, and, and help us to understand that the book of Jonah, um, yes, it's a simple story, simple enough for a child to understand, but the book of Jonah is also a complex story. It's an intricate story. Uh, it's a story that has a lot of aspects and elements of, of literary artistry involved in it. You know, we tend to reduce the book because we uh, think of the Sunday school lessons and the crafts and the stick figures we have of Jonah and uh, the fish or the whale, we used to call them. And we think of the VeggieTales movie on Jonah and we think, you know, oh, it, it's a children's story. But no, the book of Jonah uh, is actually so much more than that. And that's what I hope for us to see. To see that the Bible, when it reveals uh, a beautiful God, reveals a beautiful God beautifully. That the Bible comes to us and it presents God in the most marvelous of ways. And so even in this book, the author of Jonah is writing his book very intentionally. It's highly thought out. It's intricately crafted. Uh, when I was a teaching assistant at, at Westminster Seminary for a few years, uh, one of my jobs was to grade blue books at the end of every semester. And we would get, I would get maybe 70, 80 blue books. And, and I quickly realized students could be put into one of two camps. Uh, the first type of student uh, was those who would read the question, the prompt thoroughly. And then on the side of the blue book, they would write an outline, their thesis statement and then the paragraphs and their conclusion. And they would write a beautiful essay. And those students tended to do very well. And then you had the other students who would read probably half of the question and a, one word in the question would just trigger a mind dump and they would just word vomit everything they knew about the subject. And the idea was more, if I throw everything out there, something's got to be right. And those types of students, it was very hard to read what they were, were saying. Jonah is that first kind of student. Jonah is a student when he's writing his, or when the author is writing his book, is presenting to us this really organized and well-structured story. And we know that because Jonah takes place in basically two scenes. The first scene in chapters one and two take place on the sea. And the second scene, which takes place in chapters three and four, are in Nineveh. And these two scenes, these two stories parallel one another. And the author does this very intentionally. And so the Right away, we notice if you just look at how Jonah 1 verses 1 and 2 begins, we read this. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. And then using almost the same exact words, identical words, the author writes in Jonah 3 verses 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. And so the commissioning, the calling of Jonah appears to us in the same kind of way. 
And then the scenes continue and they both then follow up this calling and this commission with Jonah's encounter with a group of pagans, a group of unbelievers. So in scene one, Jonah receives the call and commission and then he encounters a group of pagan sailors at sea. Then in scene two, Jonah receives the call and commission and he confronts and encounters a group of citizens in Nineveh. Now, both of these groups, the pagan sailors and the citizens of Nineveh are uncircumcised Gentiles. They are non-Israelites. They're people outside of God's covenant. And if you're an Israelite reading this, that means for you, these are a people who don't deserve God's mercy. But what's surprising to the reader is this. In the story, when these sailors call out to God, when they cry out for his mercy, God hears, God responds, and God delivers. And so we actually read this, the sailor's prayer in Jonah chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And then a very similar prayer or very similar proclamation issued by the king of Nineveh in chapter three, when he says, let everyone turn from his evil way. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So they're calling out to God. They're wondering, Will the Lord save us from perishing? And how does God respond? Well, in chapter one, we read, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea seized from its raging. That God calmed the sea. We learned this last week when our intern Paul preached about God's command over the seas. God calmed the sea and delivered them. And then in chapter three, we read, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he has said he would do to them. And so, so far, what we have in the two parallel scenes is Jonah, who is called and commissioned by God. Jonah, who encounters these pagans. These pagans cry out to God in mercy, and God responds and saves them. And that would be a surprising lesson for the ancient Israelite, that God is abundantly merciful, not only to his own people, but to all people who cry out to him in faith and repentance. And that's very good news. That's very important news. Because as we read this story and we see this God revealed to us, that means this about God, friends, no matter who you are and no matter what your history is and no matter what sins you've committed and no matter what ways you've fallen short of God's glory, no matter how far you've run away from God, no matter how much you've rejected him and spurned him and spit at him, no matter how unashamed and how unworthy you think you are and you feel you are because you are stuck in sin from the least likely to the most likely, God shows mercy to all who cry out to him. God is a God generous with mercy, not stingy with it. And you imagine the ancient Israelite reading this story and how surprising it would have been because the Israelites believed that they were the only recipients of God's mercy, that God shouldn't show it to anybody else. No, right now, currently what's happening is with the COVID-19 vaccination starting to be administered, every state has their rollout plan, their procedures. Now here in Pennsylvania, um, those in the first phase have already begun receiving these vaccinations. And then the, those in the fourth phase will receive it last. Now the Israelites would be those who say, we belong, we are entitled to this highest priority phase group. We deserve the vaccine of God's mercy against sin. And then they would have looked at these pagans, these uncircumcised non-Israelite Gentiles and said, well, they belong in the fourth phase. Or maybe let's not even give them a vaccination. 
Let's not even offer them God's mercy. They don't deserve it. But Jonah's confronting us with a God who is not like that. A God who says, even if you are a pagan and a Gentile and worshiping false gods, when you turn to me and you cry out, there is nobody who is beyond my reach. Nobody is beyond the reach of God. Nobody is too sinful. Nobody is too fallen. Nobody is too broken. Nobody is too hopeless. Nobody is too undeserving. Now, we may think so. We know those people who have hurt us, who have offended us, who've done such things where we have declared they are not worthy. They are too broken. They have messed up too much. But the Lord, he does not do that. Anybody and everybody, no matter who you are, can receive the saving mercies of God when they turn to him and cry out. That means, friends, even you, even you, even you failed husband, even you angry wife, even you disobedient child, even you lazy employee, even you failed Christian, even you inconsistent disciple of Jesus, even you who live so recklessly and rebelliously against God, even you who are so licentious in your lifestyle, so lax in your pursuit of God, so lazy in your disciplines, even you who are stuck in the same patterns of sin that you can't seem to break. God's mercy is even for you. God is rich in mercy, not toward some, and poor in mercy toward others. No, no, no. He is abundant in mercy to all. Now, these scenes, they parallel one another. Jonah is called, he's commissioned. He encounters a group of pagans. They call out to God. God hears, God responds. God gives them mercy. But then each scene ends with this final scene. And it's a revelation of this truth. Jonah himself needs mercy. Jonah himself needs to be saved. It's not just other people, people out there who need the salvation and need the mercy. Jonah himself needs it. And so we see this in the first scene. Jonah is cast into the ocean. He is drowning under crashing waves when God does what? Appoints salvation through a fish. Right? So we read in Jonah 1.17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so right after God shows an undeserving group of people, the sailors, mercy, God then goes ahead and shows an undeserving Jonah his mercy. And he's basically showing us, the reader, yes, the pagans, none of them are beyond the reach of God's mercy. But Jonah, the Hebrew prophet, he is not beyond the need of God's mercy. And then in the second scene, Jonah now is sitting outside the city and he's suffering under the sun, beating down the hot Middle Eastern sun, beating down on his head and his neck. And God appoints salvation through a plant. So we read in Jonah chapter four, verse six, using the same words. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over his head to save him from his discomfort. Just as God showed mercy to the undeserving Ninevites, God continues to show mercy to an undeserving Jonah. And in the same way, these pagans who worship false gods in Nineveh, they are not beyond the reach of God's mercy, but Jonah, this Hebrew prophet, is not beyond the need of God's mercy. Which is a lesson not all of us need to learn. This is the lesson of Jonah. There isn't a single person in this room. There isn't a single person who is tuning in on YouTube. There isn't a single person who is outside of the reach of God's mercy. 
but there also isn't a single person who is outside the need for God's mercy. Whether you're a pagan or you're a prophet, you need God's mercy. Whether you are a heathen or you are a Hebrew, all need God's mercy. And this is what we mean when we say that we all need the gospel. The original audience needed this lesson then. We need the lesson today. It's not just those who don't attend church who need the gospel. Even those who attend church need the gospel. It's not just those who stay home on a snowy day that need the gospel. It's those who weather the storm and make it a point to come to church because they're faithful Christians who need the gospel. It's not just those who have never heard the story of Jonah or have never read the Bible and don't know anything about it who need the gospel. It's those who know the story of Jonah well and have even taught the Bible to others who equally need the gospel. In this way, the mercy of God is like oxygen. Everybody needs it. Now we may think, oh, only those drowning in the ocean need the oxygen, but us who are standing on dry ground also need it. And this is what's so tricky about it. It's so much easier for us to recognize the need of another person. Those who are in the water flailing their arms, we think they need the oxygen, while we think, well, we don't. But friends, take away oxygen for you from you for just a few minutes and you are in equal trouble. And this is why it's important for us to understand this. Self-righteousness is just as blinding as sinful rebellion. Sometimes it's even worse when we're self-righteous, when we think that we're better, when we think we're more spiritual, we're more religious, we're more obedient, we're more faithful than others. Because then we think we don't need the grace of God. We don't need God's mercy as much as those people. And the book of Jonah is exposing that. The shortcomings of both, the irreligious, immoral approach to God, those people, they need God's mercy, but also the religious, moral people, they need God's mercy too. And in this way, the book of Jonah is very interesting because it parallels another story in the scriptures. I won't tell you quite yet, but try to piece it together. Now, in chapters one and two of Jonah, you have a disobedient prophet who refuses to listen to God. He wants nothing to do with God. And so he takes what money he has. He goes down to the boat. He pays his fare and he goes as far as his money will take him. But God doesn't give up on him. God pursues him. God hunts him down, not with scent and smell, but with sea and storm. And God chases him down and he restores him. Then in the next scene in Jonah, chapters three and four, they're about an obedient prophet who listens to God, who obeys God in every way, but is still so far away from God. That he is near God, but he's spiritually distant because it doesn't understand God's heart. So there he stands outside this city. In this city where people are celebrating God's mercy now that he saved them, he's outside the city, disgusted with God's display of mercy, thinking those people are undeserving, angry at God. In fact, he actually says in Jonah 4 verse 9, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. But God doesn't smite him for his arrogance, but he teaches him this lesson about mercy. Now, does that sound familiar to you? One scene is about a man who disobeys, runs away, and yet is restored to God. 
The other is of a man who obeys and stays, but is angry at God for showing somebody else mercy. In fact, he leaves the city. He stands outside and he is angry. It sounds a lot like the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. The younger brother who ran away from home and yet is restored to the father, received in grace and mercy. The elder brother who stays home, obeys, doesn't go anywhere. But when this runaway is shown mercy, leaves the party, stands outside the house and is angry at his father. How dare you show mercy to others? You see, the parallels in this story are not because Jonah is somehow predicting Luke 15 in the parable, but because the dynamics of the gospel are the same. The good news of Jesus Christ has always been for these two groups of people. It's always been for the immoral, the disobedient, the rebels and the runaways. It's also been for those who have been moral and obedient and religious and church going. You see, on the one hand, you have people who want to escape God's control. And so what do they do? They try to avoid God. They avoid God by living life however they want to live. They pursue everything they want to pursue. On the other hand, you have people who still want to avoid God's control, but they don't try to avoid God. They try to avoid sin. They do everything God wants, but in that way, they keep God at an arm's length. You see, in the end, whether you're filled with sinful rebellion or you're filled with self-righteousness, both need God's mercy. Some of you are living in sinful rebellion. And you need the encouragement this morning that you are not beyond the reach of God's mercy. But others of you are living in self-righteousness. The spirit of Jonah is at work in you. And you need the encouragement that you are not beyond the need of God's mercy. And friends, a lot of us, we sense that spirit of Jonah in us, don't we? Let me just highlight three ways in which we see it. The first way it evidences itself is when you think you deserve God's mercy while others don't. If anyone deserves a second chance, it's me, not them. Which is why we think, oh, when I sin, I should be easily forgiven by God. But I have every right to withhold forgiveness from the, for this person. Is when we think, oh, God, why oh, God shouldn't be offended by the wrongs we do. But we have the right to be so offended when others wrong us. We think God should be patient with us an infinite amount of times. But we don't need to be patient with anybody any amount of time. You think you are more deserving of God's mercy than others. It's the spirit of Jonah. The second way we see the spirit of Jonah is actually quite different. It's manifested when you think that others need God's mercy while you don't. And when this is the case, others have really bad sins but you're just mostly good and you occasionally mess up. You think other people, they're the ones who desperately need God's grace and mercy. But I just need a little bit of patience, a little bit of understanding. And that's because others sin while I just slip up. And as a result, the spirit of Jonah manifests itself when you are giving prayer requests because your prayer requests are never about you and your struggles. And they're always about another person and what they need help with, and how they need God's fixing, and how they need God in their life. But I'm fine. I'm okay. I can take care of myself. The third way we see the spirit of Jonah at work is when you're extremely critical and judgmental of others. 
you lack the grace and mercy toward others that you've received freely from God. So you condemn quickly. You judge harshly. Forget about whether people have lived up to God's standard or not. They failed my standard. They have not met my bar, my measure. I have the right view about this. How can they be so blind? I have enough faith to do this. Why is yours so lacking? I have the resolve to do and say what needs to be done and said. Why can't you muster up the courage like me? See, the spirit of Jonah is so alive in us. Even today, we see it in this obedient, rule-keeping, mission-going Jonah. But even he needs mercy. And it's reminding us that, friends, every single one of us, we need God's mercy too. So what is the main lesson of the book of Jonah? Here it is. There is no right unrighteousness in you that puts you beyond the reach of God's mercy. No matter what you feel about yourself, no matter, no matter what others have told you, even the accuser and the enemy, there is no unrighteousness in you that puts you beyond the reach of God's mercy. His arm goes further than you can run away. And at the same time, there is no self-righteousness that you can produce in yourself that puts you beyond the need of God's mercy. But the good news is this, that in Jesus Christ, God offers you mercy upon mercy. You see, God showed his mercy to disobedient Jonah by appointing a fish to save him. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. God showed his mercy to obedient Jonah by appointing a plant to save him. Jonah 4, verse 6. But both fish and plant we're pointing to the ultimate way that God has shown you and me mercy. And that's by appointing to us his one and only son, Jesus, to save us. For Apostle Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 3 when he says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come up from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. A fish may be able to save you from drowning in the sea. A plant may be able to save you from burning under the hot sun. But only Jesus can save you from drowning the ocean of your sin and save you from the burning wrath of God's holiness against us. See, Jesus came. He was sent by God as God appointed a fish God appointed a plan. He appointed the coming of his son to come and die for our sins, to take our punishment so that when you and I and every one of us call out to God in mercy, we who do not deserve to be heard will be heard. Our God will respond. Our God will save. Friends, if you are ashamed, if you are guilt-ridden, if you wake up in the clear acknowledgement of all of your failures, Turn to God, ask him for mercy, and he will pour it out abundantly in Jesus Christ. Friends, if you are absorbed and clinging to your self-righteousness, standing on the pedestal in which you look down at everybody else, turn and ask God for his mercy. And he will also shower it abundantly on you in Jesus Christ. You see, friends, to all who look to Jesus 
That is his offer and that is his promise. Mercy upon mercy. Let us pray.